When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at marines.com. Today, I've got Chris Fade, the voice of Dubai. Welcome to the show, brother. What an honor to be here. <laughs> they suggested maybe I change my name from being Street Kid Habib to who I am now on the radio, Chris Fade. Not every Lebanese boy out of Sydney is, quote unquote, the guy in a, you know, selling things on the side. <laughs> You know? Or driving a WRX. Or driving a WRX, you know. <laughs> or C63 Mercedes. Exactly. <laughs> There's an opportunity for me to start a radio station in Dubai, mm. which was Virgin, mm -hmm. Richard Branson. I did a, a diploma and I only chose it because I thought it sounded good. What was it? Asia Pacific Marketing. The boss came to me and said, this ain't your job. You shouldn't be doing this job. You don't shut up. You don't, you, you're distracted. You shouldn't be confined in an office. Hey, what's up everyone? Happy New Year and welcome back to the Let's Trot Show. And for today, I've got Chris Fade, the voice of Dubai. Welcome to the show, brother. What an honor to be here. <laughs> <laughs> I love your voice. How's it going? It's good. I'm good. I feel good Good, good to be back, sort of back home in Sydney. Mm. I've been 16 years uh, in Dubai. Has it been 16? 16 years. I've got 12. <laughs> nah, nah, 16. I left, I left uh, 2007. Wow. And I thought, let's give Dubai a bit of a go and... Um, as much as I, I miss home, it's good to be out there as well, you know. Well, looking at your socials, I know you're a very, very busy man. What did you get up to in the last couple of days? Uh, yeah, sort of came back home uh, to Sydney, saw the family. Mm. Just love to – that's the hardest thing about sort of like leaving your city for anyone that's had to travel away from their family for mm. work. Mm. Um, that's the hardest thing. I've just been spending time with the family. I brought my two daughters with me as well. That's nice. So they got to see their, their cousins and their nephews. I've been visiting the old places, went down to Centro Bankstown, went down to Punchbowl. <laughs> Good times. Down. Yeah, no, like, I, that's, I, like it's nostalgic, you yeah, know, like yeah, yeah. just being able to go in down to Pitt Street Mall again. Just been doing a lot of shopping, a lot of eating. Um, wow. Weather's been average. I haven't been yeah. able to check out the, the beaches it's, yet. It's been average for the last uh, couple of years. To be yeah, what's going honest. on? Summer in Sydney used to be like hot blue skies. I'm glad you brought it up because all winter we'll be expecting a very dry summer and it's it hasn't been dry. So the, the Weather Bureau, I'm after you. Okay. I, want, I want answers. No, but, but it's been good. It's been good to come home and just sort of hang out, get to see you, for example, come and do this sort of stuff. So, mm -hmm. you know, always good to come home. I'm going to try to come home a little bit more than once or twice a year now, I think. Sort of just come back, check in with the family. The parents are getting older. So, you know. Being, being Lebanese, you got a big family? Yeah, we've got a pretty big family, yeah. Uh, yeah. I don't think it's big in Lebanese size, okay. but it's a big family for like my Aussie mates. Well, what is big in Lebanese size? <laughs> 4,000. <laughs> That's a wedding. Yeah, exactly. Um, we've got a pretty good, you know, Le Lebanese family. Nice. You know, mum and dad migrated like most of the, the Lebanese did in the 70s and sort of came out here and called it home. And, you know, I was talking to a friend of mine recently about it. 
you know, growing up as a, as a Lebanese boy, mm. we, we wanted to rebel against being Lebanese. I, want, I didn't want to be Arab when I was younger. Mm. I don't know, being at school, I always felt like I wanted to fit in and be like, you know, quote unquote, the Aussie. Um, and I still remember the kids, you know, you bring your Lebanese bread to school, they'd look at it, they'd laugh. Mm. Um, but later on now, full circle, I'm so proud to, to say that I'm Lebanese. I'm so proud to, to wave the flag for being an Arab, you that, know? That's special, man. You should be proud. And it would have been hard for you as well, particularly in the media scene, and especially starting off your career in radio back in 2000s, early 2000s, yep. you had the Cronulla riots. So yep. it kind of had a pretty bad name going then. Did that Was that hard? Yeah, definitely, man. Like I think growing up as I, – I didn't see it until probably later on though when I was – in those years, I didn't feel that we were not given the the opportunities that mm. we probably should have. Mm. Um, I was working on radio back in the day on a station called 96.1. Mm. Um, great radio station. It was a West Sydney radio station. We were hip-hop and R&B. Like, I loved it. I was Still going. Yeah, it's still going. I mean, it, it's changed its name, but it's still going. And um, when those Cronulla riots happened, that was a bit of an eye-opener for me. Mm. I was known as street kid Habib at the time. Mm. And, you know, being the token Arab, the token Lebanese on the radio. And I remember when that all happened, um, you know, I remember the, the big bosses at the time and they did a really good job. First they came in and just said, is everything okay with you? And I said, yeah, everything's fine with us. Um, you know, they hired a personal security guard at the bottom of the radio station just to make sure oh, yeah. that I was going to be okay walking to my car because things were pretty bad back then for us. You it know? Was. Even the war happened two, 100%. a few years later. Yeah, like so, you know, th those moments were eye-openers and it was actually at around that time where they suggested maybe I change my name from being Street Kid Habib to who I am now on the radio, Chris Fade. You know, wow. my real name's Kristen George yeah. Fahad, which is a good, strong Lebanese name. Mm. Um, and we went to Chris Fade. I was happy with it. And, um, you know, it's funny now I live in the Middle East and I've got this, you know, quote unquote, Anglo name, Chris Fade, where I should probably have it as Chris Fade. <laughs> you look far um, from Anglo to me. <laughs> yeah, I know, I know. Well, that's the thing. Some people hear me on the radio and then they see me and they're like, you look Arab. I'm like, yeah, I am. <laughs> but that used to happen like early days in Sydney. Like yeah. I'd get opportunities sometimes. I don't know if I was looking into it too much, but I'd get calls and, you know, to do possible TV shows and that because they liked how I sounded on the radio. But then we'd have a meeting and it'd go call Turkey. Mm. And I always used to wonder. I don't know if it was true, but I wasn't sure if that was, you know, maybe they, they weren't looking for my type, you know, a guy with a beard and, and all that. So, you know, I think coming back 16 years later to Sydney and turning on the radio and turning on the TVs now, there's a lot more representation, which is good to see, you know. Mm, and definitely. for me, I want to wave the Australian flag proud, I want to I want to wave the Lebanese flag proud, and I want to be I want to wave the Arab flag proud for us. You know, um, not every Lebanese boy out of Sydney is quote unquote the guy in a, you know selling things on the side. You know, <laughs> or driving a WRX, or driving a WRX. You know, <laughs> or C sixty three Mercedes. <laughs> exactly. And if they are driving those nice cars, they did it the legit way. Yeah, exactly. You know? Right. Like, exactly. You know, like so I want to be able to. You know, I had a, I had someone stop me at Roseland Shopping Center last week. And he runs a he runs a Instagram page called Lebanese Memes, right? I saw that. Yeah, and he's you know and he came up to me, he goes, Chris, I love you, and I said, oh, you know, I said, lovely to meet you, man. Shook his hand. He goes, nah, it's what you're doing for for us Arabs globally as well. He goes, you know, we have a very stereotypical sort of feel for Lebanese, especially I agree with that. especially out of Sydney, we do, yeah. you know. Um, and he said, just keep doing what you're doing because I want I want to show the world what we are, and that gave me goosebumps. I've even got goosebumps now just talking about it. So. 
you know, I remember the first time I ever went to Lebanon. I was about 18 years old and I worked in, I was like, man, our, our women are hot. Like <laughs> the boys dress well, we're, we're a classy culture, right? And I didn't see enough of that here in Sydney, you know? And I, I feel like we're improving every year as well. We're mm. doing good. And so it's good to come back home and as, as I said, wave the Aussie flag, wave the Lebo flag and just keep going. Well, I'm glad you're back. I think it was what, it's been a year now since you've been back, since the last saw you? Yeah, it's been a year since you took me and demolished, you demolished me. You demolished me on the, uh, what were we doing, sprints? That wasn't fun. What do you call those things? Oh, it was a 2046 here. It was a couple of sprints involved, MAS running. I just wanted to kind of give you a bit of a taste of what a rugby league player goes through, Chris. I thought I was fit <laughs> until you took me on a run you know, and can did I, these sprints. Can I say, it was raining, it was cold, it was miserable, you know, Hats off to you for actually turning up, to yeah, be totally honest. I think I vomited afterwards, but I never told you. <laughs> well, I'm glad you're back. And last time you came out, you actually bought me some goodies. That was Fade Fit Snacks, which I've been craving. Tell me about them. Why did you start it up in the first place? All right. So I left here in 2007, went to Dubai. Yep. There wasn't much on Dubai when I moved. I told mum mm. and dad, mum, dad, um, there's an opportunity for me to start a radio station in Dubai. Mm. which was Virgin, mm -hmm. Richard Branson. Massive. When you work in radio, rarely do you get to start a radio station. It'd be like you playing football for a team that never existed mm. and it's their first year. And it's, you have... Start unknown. Yeah, and you have the opportunity of being one of the first players or captains to be able to run in that team. Mm. For me as a radio guy, it's very rare to be able to do that. So I, I said, let me try it. And it was for Sir Richard Branson. I thought, this guy's a legend. Let's give it a go. So went out there. Uh, helped start this radio station with a couple of other boys mm. and girls. And, you know, within a couple of years, we, we, we sort of built the number one radio station in the Middle East. That's Not even in Dubai. It was in the Middle East, right? Um, Definitely a niche. Yeah. It was there a gap in the market? It, and you it was, just well, there was a gap it. in the market for good English radio stations. It's an English radio station. Mm. And there's a bunch of, you know, decent English radio stations, but no one was doing it the way that, to tell you the truth, Australian radio does. Australian radio is really good, right? Mm. With a... You know, we're world leaders when it comes to entertainment on radio. So I was out there working and I was just eating. I was just eating, working, eating, working, no exercise. And I went from about 88 kilos and over a time span of around four years, got up to 125 kilos, 128 actually. I never asked you this, but how did you get to that point? Just didn't care. I didn't care. I definitely fell into depression and anxiety, which I talk about. Um, I think I just, I had had two children. I was just working, you know, my butt off and I don't know. I just, I became lazy and food was comfort for me. Mm. And then before I knew it, I remember looking at myself in the mirror one day and just going, well, I'm fat. Like I wasn't even fat. I was obese. Mm. And if you, you know, there's, there's I've photos, the photos on, yeah. Yeah, there's photos on, on the internet of how big I got. And I fell into depression and anxiety, which I did not know what that was. I remember just feeling horrible, but I didn't know it was anxiety. And saying that, it's, uh, those two words are thrown around quite easily. Like, yeah. legit. They're like, I think a lot of men go through it. A lot of women go through it. I mean, we all go through it. Kids go through it now. But men just hide it more. We hide it because hide it it's, it's, you're not going to go tell your friend. And, and one thing Australia's doing really well is, are you okay? And they're asked, those, those campaigns I think are really, really important. Because us, us men, especially Aussie men, you know, 
Got to be masculine. Yeah, you know, man, I've right? got nothing wrong with me. I'm all good. Can't be emotional. You know, but the risk of, you know, suicide in men is the highest. And men, we have it. It's not women, it's men, mm. you know. So I was going through anxiety and depression and I didn't know what that was. I just knew that I felt horrible. Mm. Um, and I remember the time, my you know, my ex-wife at the time, you know, she was, you know, she was supportive. She was like, what's going on? Are you okay? I'm like, I've got no idea. So I went and started to go see a few doctors. They gave me the pills that you take, the antidepressants. I think I took those for about two months and realized Don't work these aren't, these aren't for me. And I felt ashamed as well, which was weird, but you shouldn't. You shouldn't, no. Um, and then I went to the gym. I walked myself to my local gym in Dubai and I did a session. I just, I remember just getting on the treadmill and just lifting some weights and after that session, I felt great. And it was the first time in about four months that I felt quote unquote normal. Wow. I didn't have this panic. I didn't have these thoughts and I felt okay. And so that only lasted for about four or five hours before it all came back. So then I woke up in the morning, I went to the gym. After the gym, I felt good again. It's like, hmm. There's something going on here. Yeah. When I train, afterwards I feel good. Mm. It only lasts for four or five hours. Serotonin increases, testosterone Correct. increases. So I started doing two training. I was training twice a day. Mm. Just playing basketball or lifting weights or playing tennis, just doing something. And it made me feel better. And as I was doing that, I started just to watch what I started to consume then. Because I thought, well, if I'm training, let me start eating better. And then I got fixated on it. And that was the first time that I started to feel good. And I realized, wow, looking after your body is not only looking after it physically, but mentally is where the big gains are. I, wanna, I don't want to deviate too, too far with the story about fade fear, but I need to talk about like this depression, anxiety. Did this, some, this develop over time or was this something that just happened straight away? Uh, a circumstance I um, that triggered it, you? I think it, yeah, I don't remember. But it wasn't, a, no, I don't think it was over a long time. Mm. I think it would have been over a couple of like months that it just went from like my anxiety was so bad i know how it started actually mm. and i got a blocked ear random uh, you, randomly like, you that, i wasn't that wasn't the answer i was randomly that. i had a blocked ear yeah and then for some reason i said to myself imagine this blocked ear never goes away right and then it never went away, stayed with me for a year. And that block D drove me crazy. My health anxiety kicked in. What's wrong with me? It's cancer. What's oh. going on? Da da da. It's not going away. Drives you crazy. And it wasn't until I realized there was nothing wrong with my ear. I did all the tests. I went to the doctors. I did a bunch of things. My mind, the mind is so strong. And this is, what, this is what I've learned over the years. This is what I teach a lot of people. I tell a lot of people. Your mind is so strong, it can manifest anything. 100% agree. Anything. 100% agree. Now, you want to know how my ear went away? I got food poisoning. All right? I had a bunch of oysters. And I got the worst food poisoning of my life, which took me oh. about three months to recover. Oh, wow. So guess what? My guts were effed. Uh. So guess what? My concentration went to my stomach. My ear unblocked. Because my mind now was fixated on this. Yes, 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 yes. And yes. that's when I realized how strong and how powerful the mind is. That's it crazy. It really can. It can really create ailments in your body, mm. right? So 
that's when the anxiety was sort of like at full steam and I had to control it. And, you know, talking to a lot of people, I know why I've got health anxiety, which comes and goes, but I can control it now. One of my good friends, Mark, um, when we were 18, him and I, my closest mate, he went to sleep one night with a sore throat and then was in a coma for two and a half months because he got some type of infection on his brain. And so I was with him for two and a half months in St. George Hospital where the doctor said he's either going to come out of this and if he does, he'll be mentally not there Mm. or a vegetable or he's not going to come out of it at all. So for two and a half months, I sat next to him on his hospital bed with his brother and a few of us friends and we watched him try to come back. And over two and a half months, he came back. He learned how to walk. He learned how to talk. He learned how to do all that. That moment of seeing someone, we were 18, we were kids, we were mm. invincible. Mm. That moment seeing someone's life get taken away, that was when I realised, man, life is precious. Yeah. But that's what kicked off my health anxiety. I realised how fickle life can be and how quickly everything can be taken away. Mm. So that health anxiety stayed with me. Wow. So full circle, going to the gym and just getting healthy and starting to look after myself was the only thing that made me feel physically and mentally better. Yeah, wow. And so I started training. So I started training every single day. Then I've got a lot of followers globally. You know, they used to message me saying, Chris, man, you lost a lot of weight. How did you do it? And I used to DM them back. Oh, man, I just started going to the gym. I started doing this. Da-da-da-da. Those messages that were coming in daily started coming by the hundreds. And I was like, man, I can't keep up. I can't, I can't reply to everyone. You know, I've got a couple of million followers. I can't do it with everyone. So what I did is I did a day in Dubai and we called it Fade Fit. My name's Chris Fade. Makes sense. Fade Fit. Love it. It was a hashtag that I was using myself every time I was at the gym. And we did a day of health. Um, we had personal trainers there, psychologists, um, uh, nutritionists. We had everyone there. I got it sponsored by uh, Reebok at the time. Beautiful. They wanted to jump on board. They saw this initiative. Um, and a couple of gyms, UFC gym actually sponsored it as well. Oh. And we did it on the beach. We had about 1,000 people rock up. There was about 3,000 people wanting to go, but we could only fit 1,000. Yep. And it was a day of health and inspiration. And that was the day that Fade Fit began as a brand. Wow. Um, and it was beautiful. People left in tears. People were left in tears because they knew it was the that it was what they were looking for. They needed that that day or that moment of their life to start something new, and so from there the brand sort of was you know created, and about a year after that, um, you know I was shopping for my daughters, trying to find some healthy snacks for them in the Middle East, and there weren't too many options. Um, the ones that were were imported from overseas, mm. and they were really expensive. So I thought I'm going to start creating snacks for my kids. And using my fan base and my followers, they helped me create these snacks and we released them into the biggest retailer store uh, in in Dubai, um, which was Carrefour, which is sort of like your Woolies or Coles here. Mm. And, you know, obviously with the story that I have and my followers, we were on shelves and we started selling out pretty quickly. That's awesome. We started off with two snacks. Um, They're date-based. They're all natural. There were no preservatives. They were school-friendly, peanut-free. They were things that I was happy to give my own kids. And then from there, the brand just evolved. We now have 26 products on the shelves um, from adults to kids. Um, we have our little proteins. These are our little protein balls that we sell. They come in a number of different flavors. Yeah, we nice. have protein bars coming out. We've got chips. 
made out of lentils, and we've become one of the fastest growing snack brands in the Middle East. It doesn't surprise me because the foundation that you set already for the business, like it's all of good values. You know what I mean? The story itself is really special and you it goes back to your kids as well. So this actually comes from the heart. Like this, yeah. is just, this is just not like a money-making machine for you. Like this is, like you want to change people's lives. Yeah, I don't care. Honestly, I don't care about the money. I always believe that money will come. Mm. You do something good. 100%, yeah. You I do agree. something good, the money will follow. You don't need, people that chase money, they'll never get the money. I've mm. realized that. Mm. Um, it's fickle, man. It is, it is. It comes and goes. So, you know, with Fade Fit, I don't need the money from it. I, I got enough cash doing whatever I do. So this is just for me, it's a bit of a, it's like something that I just want to see succeed for the future. I want to see it for my kids as well. Like I've got it on the written on every box. You know, snack is important for me. Has to be tasty, tasty too. So together with my daughters, we created these delicious protein snacks. This is a business that I want to give to my daughters one day. Yeah. You know, and I always tell that's them cool. like, you know, they're twelve and fourteen right now. I love that. And man. I just had a little son. I love so that. like, that's something that I want to hand over to my kids one day and say, here, continue our our legacy. You know, I love that, man. Thanks for sharing that, and that's you know, I wish you all the best with that. And Thanks, I'm sure man. it's going to go even bigger and I, further. I get a lot of people wanting it here in Australia. I get mess. I get about yeah, yeah. I get it, honestly. I get like anywhere between you know fifty to one hundred messages a day. Where can I buy them in Oz? Um, we're working on it, and uh, we'll get there. So just watch this space. You heard it here first. That's right. <laughs> I know you've been hanging out with Jay from Shoegrab quite a lot. I even saw you courtside Ooh. at the basketball, um, but. Our good friends from Shoe Grab, Jay personally has dropped off some fresh pair of sneakers. And uh, I know you're a sneakerhead as well, just like me. When you unbox them for us, brother. Can yeah, yeah, it's open First it up. Of all, I want to see. Can I say something? <laughs> Jay from Shoe Grab. Has anyone ever seen him? I mean, I've seen him in real life. Do they, you, you don't see him anywhere. Man, right? I first met Jay probably, what, 2013? Um, Man, he you know started shoe grab wasn't like a big name or anything and wanted to try and grow something. He was actually working from his van, from his garage, and to see where he's taking shoe grab is quite special. And um, you know, I'm happy to call him my mate because he's done really well for the brand. And I love that. And I think for especially with with our boys in our circle, when we see someone doing good, hundred percent. It's and I, and I'll say this to everyone: it doesn't matter if you're a if you're a plumber, if you're a builder, if you're an architect, if you're a doctor, whatever you do, find people that are in your circle and help each other. We're Motivate you, we're, push you. People are very competitive. Mm. And it's okay to be competitive, but when you try to stop someone to succeed because you think it's going to affect you, it doesn't work like I that. Agree. You bring everyone up together. I only recently met Jay and instantly him and I had a um, like a connection because I think we're both on the same journey of wanting to succeed. Mm. We want to keep pushing forward. We want to do good for our kids. We want to do good for our wife. We want to see the people around us succeed as well, which I think is important. So um, I loved it. I went to shoe grab for the first time on this trip. I'd never been to a shoe grab. I yeah, you yeah, lost in the place. <laughs> man, I thought it was going to be a small, I, I thought it was just going to be a, I walked in, I was like, damn, man, <laughs> he's done well. So let's see what, I don't even know what I, whoo. Oh, how good. Open them up and we'll see what you got. Let me see what you got. Belugas, bones. I love it. It says, congrats on your latest purchase. I didn't pay for these. <laughs> I didn't pay for these. Oh, oh man. I love them. They're my top three. They're, They're definitely gorgeous. my top three. How good's that? Look at these. Um, extra one thing those. that I've learned in the uh, in the game is be careful. Um, I know Shoe Grab obviously have them legit. There are a lot of places right now that don't. Mm. So look out With for With everything, that. even designer, like it's everything. crazy. You know, actually, I was in I was in the states, and I went to one of these places and bought a pair of kicks, 
And I wasn't sure if they were legit, but I knew a mate of mine that ran something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I took it over to him to see. The only way he could work out if it was real or not was tapping the sole on the table. So what are you talking about? You're joking. He goes, I can tell by the rubber if it's real or not. Otherwise, it's hard. But I love these. Shoe grab. Love you, Jay. Thank you, brother. How good's that? Got the Yeezy Boost 350s. 350s V2. We'll, we'll put them on after the show. How about that? Don't touch them. I know you. <laughs> Back to your career. I want to know how it all started um, before you started radio. So what did life look like for you? Um, 39 in my HSC. Went to Christian Brothers High School Lewisham. Yep. Um, did horrible. Mum and dad wanted me to, to uh, do year 12 again. I think we were the worst year that, that school had ever had. That's, uh, like we honestly were. <laughs> I remember someone said that one of the one of the teachers like you are the worst graduating year that we ever. Listen, you got but we applauded. I dropped I dropped out of year ten, so you, you know I commend you to go to year twelve. Yeah, you did well. You did well. <laughs> so God. I remember finishing year twelve and just going thirty nine. I couldn't get into any university. My parents said to me, being the Lebanese parents that they are, and just being good people, we want you to do year twelve again. Oh, wow. And I said, nah, I can't do year 12 again, guys. There's no chance. So I did nothing for the first year. I wasn't sure what to do. What did you want to do? What were you passionate about? I didn't know, man. Mm. And that's what I tell the youth today. You know what? Even my wife, like she's done a degree in uni and doesn't even use it. Like, it? Because how are you supposed to know at the age of 17, 18, mm. what you're going to do for the rest of your life? True. We live an average age, hopefully of 80, 85. You're supposed to know at the age of 18, what you're going to do. You're, you were an athlete, right? You knew probably that you wanted to play football professionally. You probably started playing when you were a kid. Mm. So you knew that. Mm. For, for other people that aren't in that realm of, we don't know what we wanted to do. I left school, I had no idea. I felt like I was a dropout. Mm, mm. You know, I, I really felt at the age of 17 that I was a failure. You're not, you're not, a, you're not a failure at the age of 17 because you didn't complete school and get 80, 80, 85% or 100% like some of your mates did, mm. you know. So I just, I started just working odd jobs. I, I trained, I was working in a cafe at Roselands called Jamaica Blue. Oh, we were working there. I did seven years. In the, in the shopping centre there? Yes, yeah, oh, Roseland yeah. Shopping Centre. Yeah, yeah, wow. That's where I used to work. I used to work at Crystal Car Wash at San Susie. Yes. Washing the cars. That's still there. Is it still there? That's still there. That's a hard job. Yeah, it is. Uh, I used to be the, I used to dry. Yeah, yeah. That was, that was my job. I, my, I got shoulders from drying that many cars. I'm not joking. <laughs> look at that. People used to say, your shoulders look good. I was just, I, this is all I did. Wax on. Bad. Off. I've washed my car once, never again. Bro. Yeah, never again, right? <laughs> so respect to all those guys so out there. I did odd jobs like that for probably three years. And then my parents kept telling me, go get more of an education. So I enrolled into TAFE mm -hmm. and I went to St. George TAFE, right? And I did a, a diploma and I only chose it because I thought it sounded good. What was it? Asia Pacific Marketing. I have no idea why I want to do Asia Pacific. There was marketing and there was Asia Pacific marketing. Okay. So I went for the Asia Pacific marketing and, course. And what does that mean? I don't know. I, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I went there and I'm glad I went because I met some of my day ones again. I met oh, some good, good mates that I'm still friends with now. But we just went to TAFE, met girls. I went to an all-boys school. It was the first time that I ever interacted with women. <laughs> like, did you go to an all-boys school? Hell no. I could have done it. I don't think I'll go nuts. Worst. I'll go crazy. Because if you went to an all-boys school at the age of 17 when you leave, you don't know how to interact with women. 
And all the guys that went to like co-ed schools, they're all fine. I remember being 17, like talking to girls, like it was all new for me where boys that went to co-ed schools have been talking to girls since the age of like whatever, 10, 12, it was normal. So I remember going to tape, like I'm like, oh man, there's women here, this is cool. You know, and that would have been a distraction itself. 100%, but yeah. I had the best time at tape. I ended up finishing it. I got uh, It was a two-year course, like three days a week. Yeah. And in between it, I was just working at all these different places. Mm-hmm. And then I finally finished and I had to get a job. I had to get something now to earn some good cash. Um, and I was working at the cafe and then I was working as a salesman. I sold background music. So when you walk into a restaurant or an elevator, you hear the music. Yes, yes, yes. I sold CDs to cafes and hotels. I was a salesman, okay? Had nothing to do with the Asia-Pacific marketing degree that I got. I don't even know I fell into that job. Wow. So I fell into that job. I was doing that for about a year. And then finally the boss came to me and said, this ain't your job. You shouldn't be doing this job. You don't shut up. You don't, you, you're distracted. You shouldn't be confined in an office. You got to not do this job. And then she said to me, I was driving and I just heard that the local radio station were looking for someone to drive the promotional car around. They're doing a competition. You should apply for it. So I would have been about 23 at the time. Wow. And again, I was like very little cash, you know, like zero to tell you the truth. I remember I was, I was driving a Mazda 323 1988 hatchback. I had just enough money to put 20 bucks petrol in that car and buy a pack of cigarettes. I was smoking back then. I used to, I used to buy the holiday packets, which was the cheap ones, right? Mm. And that's all I had. And so I tried out for this radio job. I quit the music job that I was selling, tried out for this radio job and I got into the last 10 and it was on the edge 96.1. It was called Job Survivor. It was like the TV show Survivor, but it was for radio. Isn't that crazy? That- one conversation you had with the old boss yeah. led you to this path. Yeah, her name was Alison. I haven't spoken to Alison, my old boss, in years. But wow. she was the one that said that to me. Good on her because she could see that I wasn't meant to do that. Yeah. And so worked for this radio station, The Edge 96.1, for about three weeks. They made us do some ridiculous things, including I had to go to Par- Parramatta train station at 6.30 in the morning, take my shirt off and get 96 people to put biscuits, arrowroot biscuits with butter all over my body. That was the, that, it was all done live on the radio. Like they wanted to see how much these guys would want to do their job. The other thing I had to do was wear a bra at, uh, it was in Carring Bar on a, a, one of the highways there. And I had to clean people's windows wearing a bra. And, and I'm mic'd up and I'm doing it on the radio. Yeah, yeah. I realise right now, man, they, I don't know, they probably could get sued for doing half the stuff they did to us. <laughs> I, don't know if they like, I don't think they could do half of it anymore. <laughs> anyway, so I did it. Competition ran. I get to the bottom two, I don't win it. I come second, this girl wins it. Okay. Um, she does a great job, she wins it. But supposedly I get a call two weeks later from the boss going, hey, do you want the job? I go, I didn't win the job. The girl crashed the car, she doesn't want to do the job anymore. <laughs> oh my God. So I said, yeah, let's do it. It's like everything's pushing you in this direction. Everything's right? pushing me. So then my full-time job, which was paying about 200 bucks a week, not a lot, was to drive the Edge 96.1 Road Rager across all of Sydney, mainly the West, Yeah. right? So every day I would go to the stations at where KISS FM is now, the, the ARN radio stations. I would fill the back up with drinks, chips, sausages, all that, close it on my own, take it out, and I go to four locations a day. 
One would be Penrith, one could be up at the Blue Mountains, one could be Punchbowl, you name it. Mm. And I did that job for about two and a half years and paid nothing, but I loved it. It was me, the roads, meeting people. Yeah. And I'd cross back onto the radio station. I'd be like, this is Street Kid Habib, live right now in Punchbowl. Come down, I'm here for the next 15 minutes. All could be yours. Come and grab your chips, your cans of Coke. And that, I loved it. Like it was like, I was 23 years old. I was going out with a girl. Um, my life was great. And then I realized it wasn't earning enough money. I broke up with that. Well, that girl broke up with me because she thought I was probably just a, I don't know, deadbeat. I'm 23 years old driving this radio promotion car around. He's not going anywhere. Yeah. So she broke up with me. I'm sure there was other reasons, but that that's what I thought it was, right? <laughs> okay. So we broke up. And then um, from there, I just drove that car around. And I realized that my ticket into the radio studio allowed me get, to go to the studios upstairs where all the talent was, where all the radio presenters were. And I remember the first time I scanned my card and I pressed level three, that took me to the studios, it took me up. And then I buzzed the door and I opened up. I'm like, man, I'm in the radio studios. Tell me about that feeling. It was brilliant because I saw like, you remember Love God, Richard Mercer? Yes. Like I saw him on the radio doing his show. And I'm like, He's oh him. my gosh, that's the Love God. <gasps> Mix 106.5, love song dedications. <laughs> Man, I want to know what he looks like. I've never seen what he looks like. You I've just, got this. I don't know. Yeah, he I, don't, I think I've, he got, I've got this image himself. in my head, yeah. but it's probably nowhere near what he looks like. So for anyone that doesn't know who the love god was, he was like the late night radio show that just, he got the most random calls. And that half of me from prison, right? It'd always be like some, you know, girl going, oh, I want to dedicate oh. it to Rob. He's in, where's Rob? He's in jail. All right, what song do you want? <laughs> And then they play this. So I'm watching him and I'm like, man, this guy's a legend. <laughs> and then over time, they'd ask me, I was 23, 24. They're like, who are you? I'm like, I'm street kid Habib. Nice to meet you. And then they were really cool. A couple of good guys. There's a guy called PJ and Sharpie that worked, two guys that worked on the edge. They opened up the door and then I just used to sit and watch them do radio. And I was like, man, this is so cool. And I kept learning and learning and learning. And let me tell you, Better than any college degree is when you learn on the spot, when you learn the real life I stuff. I agree. Right? So I just kept learning from these guys over a time period and eventually I learned enough to know that I could start to possibly go on the radio. The boss at the time said to me, I'm never going to put you on the radio, Chris. You can quit trying. I'll never put you on. I remember when he said that to me. I'll never put you on the radio. And that was a bit of a heartbreak for me. And then about a month later, he got fired. And this new guy walks in, his name's Charlie Fox. This guy was a legend. He helped build Triple M back in the day in the eighties. Wow. And he just came up to me and goes, what's your name? I said, I'm street kid Habib, name's Chris though. I like you, what do you do? I said, I do the promotional stuff. I drive the car around and I've learned how to do radio. Are you on the radio yet? I go, nope. He goes, great, you start tomorrow. For some reason, he just took a liking to me and he became my mentor. And he put me on midnight till dawn, which is the midnight shift till 5 a.m. Worst shift you can get in radio, but it's a start. That gave, gave me a bit of deja vu. Yeah. I, when we first started this podcast, it was two weeks. We were gonna, I got told, like, two weeks to start the first episode. I was like, Ooh. okay, Jay, no worries. <laughs> yeah, but do it. it. But look at you now. <laughs> yeah, it's, do you know it's, what I mean? No but, like, that's what you do. Like, you, if given the opportunity, take it. Yeah. So I started doing radio, and the next thing you know, he moved me from that shift to the afternoon shift. And it wasn't paying a lot. Mm. So on the side, my buddy and I started a cleaning business called Squeaky Cleaning. 
right? Me and my mate, the guy that was that fell into a coma, him and I started our own cleaning business. We were cleaning offices at night, right? So I was doing radio during the day, cleaning toilets at night. Like no, no, we were cleaning toilets. Like, wow. we'll, but it was making us money. And then it came into a fork in the road where I had to realize, do we take this clean? Cause we started getting a lot of jobs, but I loved radio. And I was like, do I want to, you know, make more money doing cleaning or do I want to try to stick with what I love? Yeah. And eventually I made the decision of, I want to continue doing radio. Wow. And so from there, I did radio in Sydney for about three years on a couple of different radio stations. And then I got the call to say, do you want to go help start this radio station in Dubai? Mm. And I got on a plane in 2007, took it. And then, yeah, I've been there for 16 years. I only meant to go for two. Yep. I told mum and dad, I'll come back in two years. But, you know, the radio show out there has, you know, more than 1.3 million listeners every single week. It's listened to, you know, globally. It's now syndicated back into Australia on Kiss FM. So yes. on a Sunday morning at 8 a.m., you can hear the show across Australia on on any of those Kiss stations. So it's pretty cool, you know. Did you find it hard to uh, adjust to the humble Sydney lifestyle to the extravagance of Dubai? Um, not really. I think like it's who you are as a person that that makes you who you are. It doesn't mm. matter the city or where you're at. Do I miss Sydney? Do I miss Australia? Every day I miss my family. I miss the greenery. But Dubai has as much as, as, as stereotypical as Dubai is with fast cars, big buildings, all the money. Flashy watches. All that, yeah. There is a sense of localness to it as well. And when you live there, that's when you see it, you know. So that we've got a good community in Dubai. We've got a good community in the UAE, like good friends, good – you know, I heard you earlier before this podcast and there was no parks. And we have some beautiful parks. Oh, really? Yeah, we've got beautiful parks. You just get to, you get this thing, like it's in the desert, like you don't really think – No, no, they do – that's what I'm saying. They do a really good job. Yeah. What I love about the city is they do a really good job, the country actually. They want to make they, – they make you feel welcome. Like they want the world to come and say, hey, you know, we may have just been on sand – but let us show you what we can do together. And they build these beautiful parks and all that. That's you know? one thing we lack here is hospitality, I reckon. Like you don't really get thrown out the red carpet. If it's restaurants, nightclubs, like I feel like we really lack that here. But you go overseas, like Dubai, hospitality is like number one value to them. 100%. Right. Yeah, like I think, I don't know if it's just the laid back Australia like yeah. that we are, like we just, yeah. But they don't have the hospitality. Field. I don't think it is. I think it's. Uh, I think it's almost a bit pretentious. Like you should be grateful that you're eating here, or you should be grateful you're at this nightclub. So I went to a cafe the other day, and someone said, "Go to it. It's a good cafe." Um, and I walked in, and it was beautiful and it was busy. And I said to them, "They're like, hi, how are you?" I said, "Hi, um, I'd like a um, cappuccino." Oh, we don't do that. Huh? What? I said, "What do you mean you don't do that?" We make our coffee one way. Sorry? Yeah. And I went, okay. <laughs> and they said, so if you want a cappuccino, feel free to go next door to another coffee shop. Okay. And I was like, who does that? Yeah, uh, that's a perfect example. Like, why, so why, many examples. Why say go next door? Mm. Like I've come to you obviously. And then I said to him, no, I'm happy to try the way that you want to make your coffee, but go ahead. Like, tell me what it is. He's like, oh, we don't put the chocolate on top. Like that what? was it. Yeah. So it was a cappuccino, but they don't do the chocolate. Oh, my head hurts. Yeah, yeah. That's how I felt. Now, the guy that was making the coffee knew me. He had watched the Dubai Bling show that I'm on. He's like, oh, Chris, so good to have you here. 
And then he said to me, do you want me to put chocolate on top? I said, no, I don't need the chocolate on top. I'm happy to have it without the chocolate. Where is this place? I'm keen to... It's Marrickville. <laughs> Marrickville's yeah, Marrickville was the best for coffee. It is. No, the coffee was amazing. Yeah. But then afterwards I said to the guy, listen, I'm a radio DJ. I, he was, I don't know if he was the manager or just the guy working there. I don't think he wanted to hear this. Yeah. But I said to him, it's like me doing a DJ set and playing the music that I only like. Yes. And saying... You guys are going to like it. That's a perfect example. I said, I drink a cap. I drink my coffee the same way for the last 14 years. Cappuccino, no sugar, takeaway cup. That's how I like it. You're telling me how I'm going to enjoy. I only give myself two coffees a day because if I have three, I get jittery. I'm the same. So I only can give myself two. And that first one is like, I go to bed at night thinking about my coffee in the morning. And I'm like, and you're going to tell me how to drink it? You know? And he gave me that, yeah, I know, mate, but that's how we do it here. Yeah, fair. So I feel like there is a little bit of that pretentiousness of like, you have it our way, and if not, chuck it on, there's the door, mm -hmm. you know, which I think we should be a little bit more accommodating. But when you live in Dubai for a while, people say, do you like living in Dubai? 100%. Can I come back and live in Australia? Of course I can. I'll have to readjust myself. But when you live a lifestyle like I live in the UAE, which is United Arab Emirates, Dubai being one of the cities, you then realise. Like my mum and dad used to always say, when are you coming back to Australia? Yeah, well. Right? The first eight years, when are you coming back? When are you coming back, son? Now, they're like, maybe we should come and move in with you. <laughs> and I'm like, oh. I don't blame them at all. Because once they realise, like now they see the lifestyle that we've got there and how beautiful it is and how safe it is. And, you know, I can wear my watches. You can do whatever you want. Like, you know, just the other night I went to, I went to Harry the Wheels on Princess Highway. Mm, it was that's, about that's iconic. I love it. I love a Harry's smash. A, I smash the tiger, you know. And then I, and I, you know, I had my. I got a couple of nice watches. I had my watch on and all that. It was about nearly one o'clock in the morning, and a couple of boys rocked up, and I started thinking to myself, oh. <laughs> when I go to LA, I go to LA a lot. I don't wear any of my watches because yeah, wow. you will get them reefed. Oh, a hundred percent. It's happened to buddies of mine. Yeah. And then I. And I was like, and I was on my own. And I was like, oh, do they, should I not wear my watch around here? I don't know. Can, am I able to wear my watch around here? I think here? you are. No one, no one comes and jacks your watches here? Uh, I don't okay. think you are. It's so I real. wasn't sure. I wasn't sure how the crime rate was because I haven't been here for, 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 for long enough. No, nah, you know? I, think, I think we're, honestly, that's one thing we're grateful for. It's a very safe country. It like, is still There safe. is some times where you hear occasion of the odd sh shooting here and there, but... And, you know, when you think about... The grand scheme of things. Yeah, grand scheme of things. Like, it's pretty safe country. That's definitely one thing we have here. All right. But anyway... You now that I said that on my podcast, I'm not wearing it, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like I'm going to get jacked out. <laughs> no, Where's that I'll guy from Dubai Bling? Where is he? <laughs> I'll probably jack you after the show. But um, you went from cleaning toilets to the biggest radio station in the Middle East. Yeah, it's pretty crazy, man. <laughs> this Sydney Lebo from Riverwood has a Madame Tussauds <laughs> wax figure. head. Oh, my God. I'm sitting there with a microphone. I've got his holiness right next to me, the Pope. Like he's about four meters away from me, and I'm like, who was one particular celebrity that you really didn't get along with? And I'm sure there's a lot of people you do get along with, and a very few that you don't. I, it wasn't I didn't get along with him, but it was the I'll tell you. Uh, Let's talk about the bubbling. I want to know what happened between you and DJ Bliss. As I said on the camera, there wasn't there for me. There wasn't just one incident. I want to test your Aussie knowledge. Oh. You know, you what? You've been away for what 16 years. Who's the current prime minister? The change.